better now than you talk now. This is my normal speaking <laughs> voice. And I am talking as well. Inside voices. Is it working? Okay. Welcome to our episode about... What are we doing today, Gabe? We're just going to jump right into it, huh? I don't know, man. No intro? Well, I no, already... No witty banter? I recorded all of the shit before this. So. Oh, perfect. All right, cool. Well, today... <laughs> So what are we doing? No, what are you? What are we doing today? Today, Stephen, we're talking about David Cronenberg's new film, Crimes of the Future. Bom, bom, bom. I think it's his twenty-second film feature. Not entirely sure. I got to do a count. And today we have a very special guest with us because this is like the ultimate guest that we could have because <laughs> we. This is oh no a direct product of us saying. We literally have people on who just want to talk on the cast. Uh, we have Zach. Hey, say hi. Hey. <laughs> hi, guys. Hey. Hello. I'm very excited to be here. I'm Zach. I hi, Zach. am a fan of the podcast, and I'm excited to talk about this movie. Zach is literally someone who, <laughs> in our Dune episode, heard us say at the end of our, it was our hundredth episode, I think, said that we had an Instagram. Please reach out to us. We might even have you on. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Zach yeah. reached out and was like, hey, uh, I like your guys' podcast. And uh, I said, we should have you on. So for sure, here it is. Uh, and I think one of the cooler things is that Zach really gravitates toward the thing that Gabe and I are always freaking out about or talking about the thing we love most about cinema, which is more of the the dread horror genre and the mm-hmm. unique auteur direction that usually circulates around those pieces of art and those works. So Zach, we're excited to have you. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about your, like what you do in life? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I can, yeah, synopsize my life real quick. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I told Steven this already, but, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like came to your guys' podcast because I basically just stumbled on your episode about The Empty Man, which is a film that I became really quite taken with and kind of obsessed with last year when I discovered it. And um, kind of every now and then I I go back into the rabbit hole that is The Empty Man. (laughs) And I, I kind of tried to find like whatever new content for lack of better word i guess has been made about it um yeah and so i i just found your guys's episode where you talked about it and just kind of gave it a shot and i i listened to a lot of podcasts just kind of like while i'm out driving around and um yeah i just i just really like feel like i really connected with the way that you guys spoke about the film but also just kind of spoke in general about cinema and there was just a like-mindedness that I, I I felt in the taste, in the kind of aesthetic and the like appreciation for how you guys really talked about that movie. And then once I dove into the other episodes, I was like, these guys are pretty cool. I think I would get <laughs> along with them. <laughs> and then it was like, yeah, say hi. And I was like, fuck it. I'll say <laughs> hi. <And> like, <laughs> it's proven to be true though. I think we have gotten along. We've already been yeah. sending each other things being like, Hey, have you checked this out or heard of this? And yeah. And I'm going to check that out. Steven told me you recommended a movie called come true. I think on Hulu. 
Yes, yes, and I'm sir. Gonna, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to. I, I love a lot of the small horror stuff that Hulu and Amazon have in their catalog. And I've watched a few, but I haven't seen that one yet. So I'm excited to check it out. I really, I can't say enough about how much I love Come True. And I, I feel like it is kind of spiritually connected in a weird way with a movie like The Empty Man as well. Mm. But yeah, Come True, uh, Anthony Scott Burns, like a really young director, but that's kind of like basically his first feature film and just a really weird, beautiful movie. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise, I, I Stephen told me about The Vast of Night, which is like a very similar kind of lower budget, early director, um, yeah. just kind of going for it. And I, I really enjoyed that movie as well. So That's awesome. Did you ever see Possessor, Zach? I did. I watched Possessor pretty recently, like... I don't like maybe three or four months ago for the first time and (laughs) I watched it really not knowing what it was except that it was Brandon Cronenberg who Mm -hmm. I you know already knew about David Cronenberg and so like that name really struck me and I knew it was his son Um, but also like the cover of that movie is so freaking scary looking (laughs) um and i think i like just turned it on when i was kind of finally in the mood to like watch something that i knew was like probably gonna mess me up right and then it turned out to be something like totally different than kind of what i thought yeah but very intense movie and really uh very connected to his father who Mm. we're really here to talk about yeah yeah but in like a really great way like kind of possessor i feel like was really kind of doing its own thing but obviously like in a lineage of right cronenberg weirdness that was just very hard to watch at times but all that gore <laughs> yeah but kind of beautiful in a really brutal disgusting way yeah for sure that's cool i feel like the Empty Man is one of those what I think of as like beacon podcasts where it's like you can you can like throw that out into the cosmos and see there's like such a a little cult following for that movie and that we had that one cooking for a while because I watched it shortly after it came out on VOD and yeah. then Stephen finally saw it a few months ago and he instantly liked it as well so that's cool that we finally got that out there and that's how we find you know people that like the same stuff yeah 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 that's how i felt i felt i felt like just a little less alone in the world because yeah. i've been trying to, i've been trying to get my friends to watch that movie and they like just won't right and so when there's like other people that are like this was really weird but it was really good in a <laughs> really weird way i'm just like i resonate with that uh, a lot yeah i almost have changed our bio a few different times to two voices crying out from the dark because <laughs> oftentimes i i feel like you were just saying zach that like it feels so lonely sometimes being like is anyone out out there listening or like relating to this yeah. I, you know i feel like yeah, alone yeah. in my opinion does anybody but, else like the things i like <laughs> <laughs> you you are also a musician as well yeah do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah sure um yeah i mean not to like shamelessly plug my music but (laughs) yeah i mean that's like kind of my bread and butter really how i think of it um Mm -hmm. i've been writing songs since like i was in high school but i've got a lot of music out there Uh, most of it's divided between two projects one of them is called lady x that's lady space and then just the letter x 
and that is kind of like my mad science project of mm. uh, just working in real studios, hiring real musicians, and recording on analog tape, and um, so rad. producing my weird songs to kind of like a hi-fi-ness that, you know, I'm kind of aiming for. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of genre bending within those couple projects and i'm sitting on like a full-length album the next mm-hmm. one for that project now that i'm trying to finish this year mm-hmm. and uh the other project is called zachary sun s-u-n and that's kind of like the foil to that music to me which is um basically just like songs i make in the middle of the night on my laptop just mm-hmm. kind of like bedroom weird electronic pop music i guess um yeah yeah i mean that that's that's my main creative outlet i'm also i do a lot of photography as well um yes and that's been something that really just went from like a hobby to like something i was really passionate about over the last year or two your photography is awesome like i i was it's so good you shoot on actual film right yeah yeah Yeah. i shoot um yeah on 35 millimeter and medium format film like only i don't own a digital camera i wouldn't really even know how to work one that's amazing that's so cool nerd i i really appreciate that thank you so much yeah yeah your stuff's really good i i love it because it is really cinematic and it seems like you really know how to capture a mood or a tone or a feeling it's the thing that Gabe and I are always talking about, like capturing that sort of look. Tone. F- that feeling, that ambiance, that mood, you know, that really in- inflicts yeah. like a like a feeling, like an emotion inside of you. And usually it's yeah. done with, on your stuff, I feel like it's, your lighting is really good. Like you really know how to capture how the light falls on somebody and you really have an eye for it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. of course. I call him when I see him. And I should also hey. say to our <laughs> listeners, his music is also really good. It's not just good because we're having him on our cast and I'm telling you that it's good because I'm, you know, trying to make him feel good about himself. It's actually good music. And it also happens to fall within the genre of music that I personally like. So I think it's extra good, but. And Steven's pretty picky, so. I am really picky. Word. I got Steven I've been listening to your songs over the past couple of weeks since we started talking. Dang. Yeah. That's so cool. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about Cronenberg. Uh, the reason that we're all here. The reason for the season. So, Zach, I got to ask before we get into this specific film, what was your history with Cronenberg before? How, like, how many of his films have you seen? Yeah, um, not too many. I had a knowledge of Cronenberg. Yeah. A lot of his older films, I just feel like I haven't really gotten the chance to go back and actually sit down with them. Right. Even though I like really mean to um because what Mm -hmm. i have seen i've I've really liked i really like a history of violence Mm -hmm. i love eastern promises that is one of like my favorite movies ever really Mm. and that might be it honestly i mean i know about crash i know about the fly i know a little bit about dead ringers but i just haven't really like watched those movies um, right. So I'm kind of soft on my, like, his filmography as a whole. But I also right. feel like I have a good understanding of what Cronenberg is into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet. It's easy, to, it's easy to point at and be like, oh, I know what you're doing, you know, Cronenberg. Yeah, for sure. But in general, I'm pretty fascinated, I feel like, 
by right. just his his visual style, the way um, like he writes, the way he shoots his movies. Um, it's not unlike a David Lynch Ian-ness, yeah. I guess. Uh, that that's poor grammar, but his movies no, just have that's like a term. yeah, like his movies have this kind of concoction of things that like shouldn't really make sense on their mm. own, but like really kind of are greater than the, like the sum of their parts, I guess. Yeah, totally. And I would say that my my history of Cronenberg is very similar to yours. I have like a working knowledge of what his past movies were about. Um, I've seen clips from a lot of them, you know, on YouTube and stuff, yeah. but I but I think the only ones I had seen as well are History of Violence and, and Eastern Promises, like oh, all no the way, way through. And then I had, when I was doing some research before I saw this film, I watched one of his earliest features, I think, from 1969 called stereo because it's just it's just on youtube you can just watch it on youtube yeah the first two uh feature films he ever made were called stereo and also crimes of the future which is the same title as this film it's just so weird but different story different story very much but he said he just liked the title a lot and he wanted to use it again like gabe i think you (laughs) probably know more and have seen more cronenberg than we have going into this not a whole lot. I Cronenberg, just like you guys, he's been on my Lynch list for. Oh, that doesn't sound right. I can't. Not. <laughs> he's been on my list. You're what? He's been on my uh, my backlog up there with David Lynch for years. And I actually haven't seen any of his 21st century films, but I'm pretty familiar with uh, a lot of his older work, like The Fly, Scanners. And it was actually just I think last year that I watched Videodrome for the first time, which changed my life. You know, it's I've never been the same since. Long live the new flesh, um, <laughs> which is probably like the starting point. I would say like for 20th century Cronenberg is Videodrome. And you can see, I think it was like his, it was one of his first features, but it was where I think he cemented his status as whatever this Cronenberg genre, subgenre is. So that's that's one of my favorite films, I think, potentially of all time now. And I highly recommend it. But but that's about as far as it goes for me. Um, and for our listeners who don't know what the Cronenberg style is, can you give a brief synopsis or breakdown of what that is? <laughs> that's <laughs> tough, Stephen. But in in its essence, it's there are key elements to it, uh, namely body gore or body horror, um, lots of incredible prosthetics and practical effects that I think I would call him one of the founders of of body horror as a genre you know like john carpenter and all those guys Mm. with sci-fi at the end of the 20th century Mm -hmm. um and then there's always like uh a sexually charged um yep undercurrent i don't know or overcurrent overtone it's it's both an under and an overtone it's in your face and it's and it's also just there yeah and it's it's basically it runs throughout all his stuff which is pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I don't know about his newer stuff. You could tell me about Eastern Promises and uh, History of Violence, but the older stuff, it's definitely there in every single film. Mm-hmm. And then it's always weird. It has that Lynchian surrealism, and uh, yeah, it's firmly outside of reality. It is, and there's a lot of... Did you already say sci-fi? Yeah. A lot of times it's very sci-fi yeah, yeah. heavy, because it's not... It's not lynching in, in the sense where it's like absurdist a lot of the time but it is like as surreal you know in like the sci-fi genre i feel mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but there's always... There's absurd things happening sometimes, but it feels more surreal than absurd, you know? Yeah, but I would also say, if we're going to keep comparing him, because I think that's a pretty interesting comparison, is that there's usually a more tangible, accessible message, I think, to a Cronenberg film. Hmm. Uh, The themes are a little easier to grasp than a Lynch film, which is often like... Yeah. It seems like Lynch is trying to confuse you and obfuscate his intentions. But, you know, like, for instance, with Videodrome, it was about, like, technology moving into the new era of television and social media. And then with Crimes of the Future, obviously, there's stuff we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, that's what I would say. I, but it's also, so it's it's both kind of, like, mainstream, but it's also pretty niche stuff. He has a, a cult following, just like most of those people do. Mm-hmm. I'm one of them. Do you have anything to add to that? I mean, his movies are, like, quite hypnotic, I feel like, the the few that I've seen. Um, and I, I totally agree that I feel like a David Lynch movie is kind of often, like, operating in your subconscious in a way. <laughs> and, like, there's a lot just kind of grasping in the dark of, like, these strange ideas and how they connect to each other in one's mind, almost, whereas... Cronenberg's movies are like so visceral they're so like physical in a way and he's just Mm -hmm. so fascinated by like the human body by sex by just the kind of dark corners of humanity and like your brain and what lengths you may or may not go to and what one might be hiding inside of oneself which you know isn't unlike Lynch but they Mm-hmm. They are both like in this kind of lane of weirdness for a lack of a better word, mm-hmm. but they both have yeah. like a, a tone. I feel like that is just very singular. Um, and I, I don't want to just compare him to, to death and to yeah. David Lynch, but cause he's very yeah. much his own thing. But yeah, I, I, I really, I would agree with that as well. Zach actually got me just now thinking about one, one other thing. And thinking about like some people that potentially Cronenberg might have drawn from in literature, like potentially like Kafka and how a lot of his stuff seems to be like the externalization of internal fears and insecurities, both like for on a like a interpersonal level, but also like in society. Cause he, he tackles a lot of big mm. not just existential but like societal questions, which, yeah. which Zach mentioned. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, it's pretty provocative stuff, both like literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like if nothing else, like when I have watched the Cronenberg movie or even Possessor, um, I kind of came out of it just feeling like I've really never seen anything quite like that before. Yeah. And it's like certainly with this movie, with Crimes of the Future, like I just watched Men a couple weeks ago um, mm-hmm. oh, in yeah. theaters, and I you know my first reaction was like i don't really know if i liked that or if i loved that (laughs) but like i certainly like that was kind of unlike anything i'd really seen before yeah and to me like that's kind of enough to like it and to appreciate it um often but at the same time like uh, i don't really think like alex garland's men probably doesn't exist without david cronenberg especially the kind of that third act there is a like influence i feel like that um cronenberg for as kind of culty as he may be is still Mm -hmm. kind of 
quite prevalent in the sci-fi world or you know body horror or whatnot uh he's really his own auteur in so many ways so yeah i think it's also important to recognize from a technical standpoint that a lot of what cronenberg does is very it feels very organic and and physical because he is using practical effects and often using actual i don't know like bodies and stuff not not actual bodies but you know like something an actor could work with tangibly on set and stick things into and take things out of as opposed to doing like cg because in men we saw a lot of computer graphic imagery things parts of the body that (laughs) things that could not happen may not exist (laughs) and but but in the cronenberg film you're getting a lot of practical effects you know in the same way that you would see a dinosaur in a Jurassic Park movie, or like the original Jurassic Park movie. Some of it may be computer graphic enhanced, but a lot of it is very practical. And I think that's also a marker of like what Cronenberg does is like he still uses practical effects, which is more and more uncommon these days. Yeah. All that stuff holds up too. If you go back and watch those films from the 80s and 90s, it, they still look good. Yeah, yeah, totally. I really want to do that. <laughs> so let's... Let's let's talk about the cast really quick. Of the, course, who's who's in this film? Uh, I think it's a pretty easy list today. There's like five or six actors. Yeah, maybe maybe seven. Bit of an ensemble led by Viggo Mortensen, aka Aragorn, who David Cronenberg has worked with, I think, for his last few features, right? In those yeah. those other films, and then he brought Leia Seydoux. Is that how you say her name? Yep. As Caprice, Viggo's assistant, and Kristen Stewart as Timlin. Yes. Uh, rather eccentric character. We also had Scott Speedman and several other people here. Don McKellar as Whippet. Whippet. That was his name. Whippet Good. <laughs> Tanya Beatty, Leahy Kornowski, Denise Capeza, and Sozos. Nadia Litz. Sotiris. Sotiris? Well, these names get harder as they go. This is the first natural born plastic eater, child actor. Oh, spoilers, by the way. Oh, okay, wait. Starting now. Spoilers <laughs> starting now. Did you say Welkit Bungwe? I didn't, but you did. Well, Welkit Bungwe. He plays the cop. New Vice. Yep. Better than old Vice, they say. <laughs> um, Long live the new Vice. <laughs> <laughs> What's the fastest way we could summarize the plot of this movie? So much stuff happened in this movie. Uh, a brief overview. Three sentences. All right. It's the near future dystopia wherein, this is still one sentence, uh, <laughs> something has happened. <laughs> and uh, No more pain. He, yeah, humans have lost the ability to feel pain. Yes. This leads to, uh, amongst many things, including like socioeconomic upheaval, uh, which is kind of tangential, but... Uh, performance artists have started doing crazy shit with their bodies. And amongst all this happening, there's uh, people who eat plastic now. And that's important both for the plot and thematically. And then these people, he has a kid, and that's the first natural-born plastic eater. (laughs) There you go. There's your three (laughs) sentence summary. You could fill in the spaces. Which you you don't realize that until later in the film. So the whole time you're kind of putting pieces together about 
what's actually happening to the human body in this future, this dystopic future that we're watching. And you come to find that all that plastic stuff later in the film. And it becomes essentially from where I'm sitting, the, the key theme or like reason that this movie exists, the, the, the socio-political statement that Cronenberg's trying to make here about what we're doing to the world and creating so much plastic that, you know, is non-recyclable that humans adapt to be able to consume the plastic instead of uh, the world being able to do so. It's a pretty fascinating sci-fi idea. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. It's true. I mean, the human body, like, in this world has evolved to creating new organs in certain individuals. Yes, that's true, too. and, (laughs) And that is, like, the performance art, high art, like plot of this movie is kind of directly tied into that and I, I it's just kind of this theme of like humanity is evolving itself to be less and less human and I I totally agree like there's a very clear like climate change allegory going on in this movie right and there's an actual monologue towards the end that from the Leia Sadu character that kind of is like the th- thesis of that, I feel like. Right. But I feel like there's a lot, there's some other stuff going on in this movie, which mm-hmm. is a little harder to put your finger on. But I feel like that's kind of the conundrum that this movie is for me. Um, Cause I don't know how you guys really f- felt about it. Um, I guess maybe, maybe we should get to that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can, um, I, can I jump in there really quick? Yeah, of course. One of the things that I really noticed, apart from everything we've just, you know, summarized, is that there's also this kind of corporate espionage, capitalism, tyranny that is keeping everybody sort of oppressed. There are these machines that try to help with the the changing body. And again, nobody really knows about these plastic eaters. The plastic eaters are kind of like these people who are underground, quote unquote, who aren't really out in the public face. So not a lot of people know about them and they kind of are in the shadows. And it seems like in this world that there are systems in place to keep people from actually knowing what's happening to their bodies and knowing what's happening sort of on a, even a more macro socio-political level. So much so that they've created ways for people to cope without actually being able to adapt in the way that they need to. And I thought it was very allegorical of oil. <laughs> And like oil companies. Oh, wow. And two of these mechanic girls who go around to people's houses and work on these machines, sometimes they're beds. One is like a chair, which which they call a breakfast chair, which is like a, it's to help a person's body move and contort in such a way that they should be able to digest normal food. It's a genius idea. Yeah. It's really, (laughs) it's really interesting. And even like an operating table and they go around and fix these machines and update their operating system. But they also seem to be covering up the real thing that's going on, which is the human body's trying to mutate and adapt to be able to consume and process plastic. And there's this huge cover up espionage thing happening. And then you throw the new vice or the police in to the, the whole plot and it just gets even a little bit more convoluted because you're not really sure whether they're trying to help cover it up or whether they're trying to stop 
sort of the corporate capitalistic tendencies as well. Anyway, that's those are the things that I pulled out from it was it almost seemed like it was about corporate tyranny versus the the working or like the the low class, you know. The regular people. Regular people. <laughs> Just yeah. the people. And then you have this artistic expression that's that's an outcry of low income poverty. That's kind of where we find Viggo Mortensen's character. Anyway, that's kind of what I pulled out of it and obviously there's a lot of allusions to what we're dealing with today and yeah so forth it's a pretty layered film it is very layered i was gonna bring out another layer like there was the environmental commentary right which was great the corporate stuff which is amazing that more socio-political stuff but also like if you just distill it to like vigo bortson's journey in this film like his particular arc i think was kind of there was another discussion about just art and the essence of what what yeah makes art what it is uh and that's one of the things that stood out to me on my first watch and his his uh interactions with that little niche community that does performance art uh particularly that interaction he has with the woman at the club or something while they're watching the guy with all the ears dance (laughs) <laughs> and they have a, they have a little discussion about the meaning of art there, and then also the way his arc ends uh, towards the end, where he learns to kind of accept what's happening to his body versus, and I mean it it ends in a very ambiguous way, I think, but the way he comes to accept the changes happening to his body, that's a pretty interesting conversation too. Yeah, I'm there with you. This movie kind of struck me a lot as like, I feel like there's a reading of it that is kind of like a self-commentary of David Cronenberg, like on himself almost. Yeah, and it's kind sure. of an imperfect metaphor. And I just saw this movie yesterday afternoon <laughs> and I'm like still processing it. But, yeah. you know, David Cronenberg is almost like an 80 year old guy who's been making really provocative movies for Mm. decades um and some of them you know are loved and beloved some were like ridiculed from what i understand like when they originally came out and then grow on to become more liked and whatnot but this this movie i feel like kind of took the idea of like a a tortured artist to a a whole other level (laughs) a very literal level and i feel like Mm -hmm. there's a lot that i feel like there's a lot of david cronenberg himself in the vigo character you could argue yeah and you know like i don't i don't know exactly how to read it but like this is Mm. it struck me like kind of watching it that like this is somebody who is given actual parts of himself to his cinema and whether that is you know, like from his own will or just kind of his own necessity to kind of get whatever crazy horror ideas or kind of figure out whatever's going on in one's own psyche. I feel like that's kind of one of the main themes of this movie is like, is this happening? You know, are we you rejecting your own body? Or there's this idea of like accepting these new organs that are evolving in yourself and the direction that society is going. And there's like a hidden group that of the father whose son has died, um, that is just kind of operating in the background, but is very Mm -hmm. secretive and strange and eats toxins and 
you know, I don't really know if the movie kind of brought like all these threads together um, to like make a lot of sense. I feel like it would really benefit for a rewatch for at least myself. Mm. But I, I feel like there's a metaphor for the creative process to be yeah to be discussed um totally somewhere in there <laughs> yeah that's cool i didn't even see that until you just said it but it's totally there and even how david cronenberg might even view what it means to age and yeah. let alone like leave some sort of legacy to a new generation and like what we're doing or what we have done to the planet you know that we live on is also there and present as well which is really interesting because Viggo Mortensen I should say he is probably my favorite part of the movie just watching his performance because he's in constant pain and uh he's 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 like constantly sulking over sort of like an anime character on the ground dressed in like black garb and he's constantly like clearing his throat and coughing and like looking like he's in constant pain which which could have been a commentary in of itself like I was just saying for you know what it means to age you know yeah which I mean is is right in line like with what Cronenberg is like so interested in it's just our bodies and how they we relate to ourselves and our own like sexual impulses and our own decay for lack of a better word and Vigo in this movie is just kind of dying in a slow motion almost he is constantly (laughs) grabbing his throat and coughing and crouching and looking like a jedi vampire something (laughs) like i don't even know like it's it's one of the parts of the movie that worked the best for me was his performance um because it is so scary but also warm and just just kind of strange, uh, but like really mm-hmm. lived in at the same time. Yeah. And I really enjoyed Vigo in this movie. But Yeah, same. He was wild. Like, yeah. even how he spoke was so different from past performances I've seen of Vigo Mortensen, you know? Yeah. I really get the sense that being part of a Cronenberg movie is kind of a playground for actors. That that's mm. kind of maybe what attracts, you know, people like Leia Sadu or Kristen Stewart. I mean, these are two of the most like beautiful women and A-listers like working today, mm-hmm. like in their generation yeah. at least, who are just down to get weird in this movie and <laughs> give some performances that are, well, I think we'll get to Kristen Stewart, but you know, like I, w- I was listening to David talk in an interview and he said that he gives very little direction when he's, when he's directing actors like he basically just kind of lets them go and Mm. he'll course correct them if he really feels like that's necessary but that's like very rare Mm. and i saw that before i watched this movie then watching it i kind of just felt like holy shit like it must be so fun to act for this director because there's so many bizarre choices that are being made all at the same time that if you take like any one of them you could kind of go like this person doesn't really seem like they know what movie they're in (laughs) but everybody is doing that at the same time (laughs) (laughs) um that it kind of just works it kind of makes this strange collage of tone and actors going for it what did you think of Kristen Stewart's performance in this? I thought it was pretty nuts. Um, 
<laughs> I it could grow on me. It was just I feel like it's the it's the outlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's you're either gonna go with this or you're going to not. A lot of the dialogue in this movie is really strange, and yeah. there's a lot of just really weird lines, and then I feel like just the way that they're written, but then Kristen Stewart just kind of gives it this delivery and this anxiety and twitchiness that she is just <laughs> emanating 24-7, her character. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, to tie it back into the plot, it's these characters are kind of really fascinated by Vigo's artist and that fascination like over the course of the movie becomes like an intense like sexual attraction um mm-hmm. and they're just kind of enamored by the artisan that he is and mm-hmm. this idea of surgery is the new sex is so kind of absurdist and quite like satirical i feel like this movie's really poking fun mm. at a lot of the art world to just put that in quotes i guess yeah yeah i think the humor worked it worked for me in that way like the strangeness of it but i could see why some people wouldn't be thrilled with the tonal dissonance there yeah i think that's a great word for it i feel like i'm jumping all over the place a little bit but it's kind of perfect. It's kind of that kind of movie that it's a lot to get my head around tonal dissonance and intentionally campy too. And I think that's, I'll just say like right now, I don't think this is Cronenberg's best movie, but I think this is where, (laughs) I think this is where he thrives and he excels is at this, the strangeness that you're mentioning. So I was thoroughly entertained, even though it did feel like everyone in this world was to me, it seemed like, like I feel like he he had him play it in like an almost slightly like autistic way where it's like uh, everybody's eccentric you know everybody has a straight like there wasn't really a straight man in this film except potentially maybe like the new vice cop right I don't know what do you mean by straight I mean like down to earth you oh, know like grounded gotcha and not eccentric oh you mean like straight laced like like Jim from the office yeah yeah <laughs> um <laughs> like the Speaking guy, in like terms. the guy who's gonna hear something that Kristen Stewart says and then yeah. look into the camera, like what? Yeah, I I don't know. I I think I agree with you. I don't think there was a straight man, and that for me is cool because it it's kind of like in a movie that was pretty sparse on the world building, probably due to his small budget. Uh, that that added a lot of texture for me to the film, and I I'll just say I. I I enjoyed Kristen Stewart's performance because I think she really went all in, like you said, Zach, and yeah. kind of just played it all the way. And I think that's Kristen Stewart, I think, is like a good character actor. And so, that, in my opinion, I Stephen doesn't like Kristen Stewart very much, but that's true. I, uh, I do. I think she's great. And I really have enjoyed the stuff she's been doing in the last few years. She's definitely gotten better in the last couple of years. I think she's great. I'm on the Kristen Stewart train. Like I'm I'm here for it. And part of the draw of this movie is that you get to just come in and make choices. And I, I feel like I'm normally uh very pro that for actors and yeah. movies. Like even times when like just to throw like a name out there, like somebody like Jared Leto, who has a reputation for just making choices in movies all the time almost just for the sake of making choices and it becomes this like actorly shtick at times (laughs) 
I often find myself like enjoying that anyways because I'm just like that's that's really entertaining like I want to see actors just doing weird stuff and taking risks and going for it yeah I liked Kristen Stewart in this movie it was just a lot it was just a very I feel like I settled into it probably by the middle or towards the end of the movie. Um, but which, yeah. where she starts is at like 11 when everybody else is kind of <laughs> like yeah. ho- she, hovering she below that. She doesn't waste any time. She no. gets right in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point though. I, I will say I agree that Kristen Stewart is pretty indicative of the whole film for me in that way where it took a little while to warm up. And then at some point I was fully on board and I'm not sure where that was. It might've been like in the second or third act, but at some point I was like fully immersed and I'm not sure. It might've been when Scott Speedman tells us what's happening with the subplot, or I guess what would be just the plot (laughs) of the plastic eaters. But yeah, and I, I do think it all will come together on a second watch. I definitely want to see it again to kind of like cement my feelings about it. Because like you said to Zach, it, I feel like he's trying to do a lot of things and I don't know if they all come together in the end in a very satisfying way. Yeah. Actually, on that note, I was going to ask you guys about how you felt about like the, the very last shot and how the film ended in kind of uh, a bit of an abrupt way, you know, but abrupt not being like bad, but just being like, I wouldn't have minded another 10 to 15 minutes. I'm curious, Zach, before we answer that question, what, what did you think of the movie? overall the movie um overall i liked it i don't know if i loved it Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed just the world and i really liked how it was shot i the performances in general i thought were like pretty captivating um you know especially kind of like we talked about like once you settle in like this movie throws so many ideas at you in the first 20 minutes that Mm -hmm. i had a little kind of just whiplash of like trying to find my bearings of like where to ground myself with because at the same time there's not like a lot of narrative momentum that's kind of propulsing the story forward Mm -hmm. but um overall i enjoyed it i was entertained i think there's a lot to kind of mine out of it and i didn't really mind the ambiguous ending at the same time i kind of felt the ending coming the movie felt like it was wrapping up to me it wasn't as jarring i feel like as maybe some other people would probably feel right did you like the ending are you talking specifically about the black and white shot yeah well it ends and you don't know what happens to vigo i would say it's up to like the interpretation right either he's either the plastic has killed him or he is well either way he's in a state of bliss right because either he's finally relieved of his suffering and death or he's finally relieved in his suffering and that he is now he's a plastic eater because that was what he always was, right? Or since his new organs have been trying to come in and he's like finally living in the way he's supposed to be living, I guess. Did you feel that it was that ambiguous? Yeah, I I got that. I thought it was a proper ending. It felt like, it felt appropriate to me considering how Mm -hmm. bizarre this story was. I didn't really mind it. It didn't rub me the wrong way. I'll say that I at the same time like I if there was another 10 or 15 minutes I would have been pretty engaged but considering like I feel like I really need to watch the movie again to kind of just figure it out some more I feel like the ending would only lend itself to that like I I, in general I really 
like movies usually that have open-ended open to interpretation endings right it makes me just think about them a lot and get very going down reddit threads <laughs> like what the fuck yeah. does this mean <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i the ending didn't bother me yeah yeah i i agree with you zach i think i think pretty much all the same things i i liked it fine i didn't love it and the ending it was interesting because that last shot is the only black and white shot in the whole film, which makes you think that this could be like outside of the time and space that we just spent an hour and 47 minutes watching, or it could be, you know, something, you know, it could just be like his, his state of ecstasy in a very practical means. But for our listeners, basically there are these plastic bars (laughs) that, were created for the plastic eaters and he finally eats one. And these will essentially, because it's straight poison, toxin, plastic, it'll either kill you or it'll satisfy you, satiate you in a way you've never been satiated. So the last shot of the film is Viggo Mortensen finally partakes of one. And then it cuts to a black and white shot of his face as he leans back in his chair in like a seeming bliss uh, or death <laughs> single he's got like a single tear right rolling yeah. down oh that's cheek. right he has a single tear yeah that was good though i liked that it was awesome um yeah <laughs> yeah and i loved the score i should say the music in this Howard Shore. yeah was so good i yeah. loved the theme that it kept reoccurring yeah right from the beginning of this movie the credits kind of come up and mm-hmm. it's just oscillating between like a minor chord that becomes major and then back mm-hmm. to minor and back to major. And it's instantly very eerie and very weird and kind of off-putting. And mm-hmm. the music was kind of like that throughout the whole thing. And I, I felt like it it really made it a lot. Because it has, it has kind of like an orchestra thing. And then it has this kind of like synth melody that comes in, right? That kind of makes it like it gives it that sci-fi element. Yeah. And so both both things are interesting cuz like like you were saying the minor to the major I think was the orchestra and then the sci-fi kind of melody that comes in is also really engaging. So the orchestral sound is also really notable and then the melody of course is notable because it's a melody, but I loved both things cuz both gave tone and painted sort of a picture to what we were seeing on screen. Yeah. It set a vibe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> this for th- sure. this movie had a just like an aesthetic that was. Mm-hmm. There are so many shots in this movie that looked like Renaissance paintings, almost like they were lit like in this very romantic, painterly way, and the production design, like every corner that isn't like Vigo's like <laughs> art layer, for lack of better description, like. Everywhere else in this movie just looks like a shithole. It looks run down. <laughs> it looks like it's been put through like a nuclear war or something. These office yeah. spaces of organ registries and anything that has to symbolize government or corporate whatever. It, it Everything just had this like decay of it. Like the movie was just very kind of exhausted in a way. And even yeah. down to like Vigo's performance is just kind of tired throughout the whole thing like trying to like stand up but isn't really able to yeah totally. it 
remind me a little bit of like children of men in a in yes. a little bit and like uh the world this kind of post mm-hmm. the world has just gone to shit basically yeah 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 i noticed that in the first shot it struck me that exact feeling because the very first thing you see after the credits is the the giant ship it might be a cruise liner but it's capsized in the water and i thought what a great way in a single frame just to set the stage for the the situation we're in yeah it's it's, it's like a seaside town or something yeah (laughs) felt like i don't where was it set do we know it might have been like was it supposed to be like coastal france or something something like that i can't remember but yeah, they sure pull you into the action when in the first five minutes the woman kills her kid <laughs> with a pillow because he's eating plastic. Anyway, I don't know what else to say about this. It's Cronenberg. I was reminded a little bit of two movies while I was watching it. I thought about Velvet Buzzsaw. I don't know if you guys ever saw that. Or also Nocturnal Animals. Have you guys seen those oh, movies? Yeah. They yeah. both poke mm-hmm. fun at especially velvet buzzsaw at this um kind of high art Mm. elitism i guess Mm. nocturnal animals i think less so is actually like in on like the satire of what it's trying to do but this movie to me felt and i think this i think crimes of the future is a much better movie than either of those movies um but there was like a a lot of undercurrent of satire just kind of woven throughout the whole thing of these performance artists opening each other up like a tagline Mm. as like surgery is the new sex almost sounds like Mm -hmm. like a really weird joke that you come up with like when you're really stoned or something and then to just make that like your whole movie almost as the setup there's just something so audacious about it um Mm. that i i feel like david cronenberg was kind of having having a little fun at it's not as much of a downer as like the plot might make it sound like yeah i don't know like vigo is yeah. like they're like even in his performance despite him being like so tired and kind of decrepit like he's also very warm and there's a lot of smiling and there's this <laughs> very strange relationship between him and his art partner and it's never really defined and when they're even asked about it in the movie they kind of avoid the question about like mm-hmm. what their relationship is um right. and then you kind of go on to learn that there's just like sexual tension between everybody in this movie yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> yep totally but i i just i found that it was kind of poking fun a little bit at, at a lot mm. of times it was kind of grinning in in some ways and in, in how it, it was talking about its themes does that make sense totally yeah totally like the, the characters were about to wink at you. Like, <laughs> yeah, you get that. It, was it wasn't. Yeah, no, it wasn't that like tongue in cheek. But but you know, yeah. there was a part of it that it was just so so kind of ridiculous in a way. Um, but yeah. also so like like the, I I found this movie just so on the nose, but also elusive at the same time. Yeah, totally. I agree. Which, which is just kind of why I, I I'm almost scared to like keep talking about it because I, I just feel like I'm not going to sound very intelligent <laughs> about it because so much stuff happened in this movie that's yeah and it's really hard to like, sum it up. Well, some things don't need to be summed up, you know, because <laughs> like when we first gave our takes, all of us said different things, like it's different things that we took and saw in this film, um, and I found that fascinating just because we all you know, being different people, like recognizing different things came up with different 
like conclusions about this film. So, uh, I think, you know, it's definitely an art film and, and, uh, I think it's intended to invoke different conclusions and emotions (laughs) inside of us. I will say I'm I'm learning to temper my expectations from Can because people keep talk. They were talking about how like this is the craziest film you'll ever see, and it did feel very tame or, or like self aware and not overboard for most of the thing. I mean, like when yeah. they were talking about people at Can were like uh, passing out and like like vomiting and their heads were exploding in the venue, <laughs> and I was like uh, watching the film just expecting, especially in the in the last ten minutes. 20 minutes to it for it to like get really, really insane. And it never really crossed that threshold for me. So for better or for worse, um, yeah, maybe in a way, like for instance, you mentioned men, that was a pretty wild ride for the last 10 minutes of the film. Did you see the movie Titan? Not yet, actually. No, I, it's kind of, it's on my list. That was another one for me that a lot of people were saying was crazy. Uh, and like, it it really fell flat for me at a certain point. I was like, oh, I don't think this is as crazy as everybody was making mm-hmm. it out to be. It is crazy though. I should say it is crazy. I love Titanic. Gabe always laughs at me because he's like, you're insane if you don't think that movie's crazy. I, <laughs> I should say I enjoyed Titan more than this film. As lynch heads, we look for a higher class of WTF and it's hard <laughs> to hit that mark. Did you, did you ever watch Twin Peaks The Return? The third season? No, I haven't seen any Twin Peaks, actually. Oh, okay. <sighs> Twin Peaks, The Return is like, I think it's one of my favorite things I've ever seen. Ever. Wow. There's a point where this lady, she just, <laughs> she takes her face off and opens it up like a door, like on a hinge. And inside of her face, like where her face was, is static. Like static and <laughs> cl- like cloud, like mist. And there's like a... There's like a centipede creature crawling around inside of her. It's indescribable. Wow. And that's that's what I'm looking for always. Like, yeah. give me woman lifts her face off to reveal <laughs> cloudy, staticky centipede creature, or give me nothing. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty mad. I'm kidding. That was a joke. He's but, joking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched Blue Velvet for the first time, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and speaking about actors like just making choices uh mm-hmm. dennis hopper in that movie is oh man nuts um and that's got to be one of the most quotable movies i think i've ever seen i really look forward to like watching that for a second time again soon yes. but that's yeah. that's on canopy if you guys have used canopy it's awesome i gotta check that out i've only ever watched clips from blue velvet as well but Zach, thanks for being here. Thanks for being on the cast. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. This was super fun. Oh, you're welcome. I think you've been super awesome having you on, and I feel like you're very well-versed, and and, uh, you can speak very articulate. (laughs) Well-spoken. Oh, thank you. I'm About such matters. I'm a big nerd when it comes to all this stuff, so... um, Yeah, I'm always researching whatever movie I just watched and looking for something new to to satisfy my... uh, my hunger for whatever movie that's going to fuck me up the next time, you know, (laughs) that sounds very much like Gabe and I as well. So we'll have to have you on again. And I, and I mean it when I say that we really enjoyed having you today. Here's a piece of music from, you said Howard Shore. Yeah. Howard Shore. He actually got his start scoring Cronenberg films 
uh, before he was famous for Lord of the Rings. Take us away, Howard. Yeah, <laughs> it was Howard. <laughs>